Good afternoon. Right, guys, we are streaming live. We're live on the YouTube channel. We're live on social media. Jim's got Instagram and his TikTok running live. So if you're watching yep. on that. Um, so, Jim, we, we've reached quite a poignant part in your journey. So we finished <laughs> off last week. I've never told this story before. Yes, yeah, so we went ever. through your journey. Uh, you're at the point where you've just retired from your day job. Yeah. Um, your empire is built up. You're at the, the £1 million mark. Um, yep. And the journey forward for here is quite a lot of um, you thinking about uh, where you've been and where you're going. Um, I think you said you, you start to maybe sell some property and things. But what was your thought process at this point? You've just left your job. You've got, obviously, your portfolio running. Yeah. What was your... Yeah. What was your aspirations from here, and and what was your the thought process at this time? Uh, yeah, I think we're around yeah, about two thousand and five, two thousand and five. Yeah, two thousand and five yeah. is when I retired at thirty yeah. years old. Okay, so I'm retired at this point in time. If, if anybody wants to ask any questions, please feel free. Uh, good afternoon, okay. Gary. By the way, um, if anybody wants to ask any questions, please feel free. We will get to these questions at the end, possibly, and the TikTok yeah. through in that because we usually extend it and and run on from there. Yeah. Um. But but primarily, this is this is how I lost a million. Uh, and it's like, sorry, <laughs> is this not how, how you made a million? It's like, no, this is how I then lost a million. Um, and, and and associated mental health issues and everything that came with it, um, literally. Uh, when I retired at 38 year old and walked away from a job and I was financially free um, to do what I wanted to do, um, I think the biggest challenge for me was I didn't know what to do next. Actually, I hadn't planned anything. I, I, I didn't expect to actually retire so early and actually be financially free so early. I expected this to happen at 65 year old because that's the that's the plan I'd been told. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought I'll just keep working until then. But it, it came the, the reason that I retired and and I, and I, and I left uh, my, my full time job because there was only it was it was a point. It was that it was that break. It was that the fork in the road came along and and it was like well. You're either gonna you're either gonna cut back on your buy to let, or you're or you're gonna cut back on your job because one of them's got to go mm -hmm. because you are now working and 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 I and I say everybody everybody goes ah oh, you you know you need to slow down you need to stop you'll burn yourself out and well, boy were they were they they probably were in truth they were probably right um, but I used to say you know when people used to say that you're you're burning the candle at both ends and it's like yeah. I, I there was no candle I burnt that candle to bits. There was literally, there was, I burnt the candle at both ends and in the middle. There was nothing left of the candle. And this, this is then leads me down a real dark path. Um, say, do you have it at this point? Did you have any element of doubt and whether you made the right decision or, or maybe well, fear no, that maybe I've done the wrong thing? There was no doubt about it made the right decision, but you've right, got to okay. look at it this way, Richard. This is like winning the lottery. Mm -hmm. This is what happens to people when they win the lottery. Now, I was mentally prepared for this to a degree, because I had been—I've got mentors, and I've got—you know—I've got been reading books all the time. I've been listening to it, tapes at that time, what they were, and um, so I'm plugged into a system, and I'm attending functions, you know, and and I've got my ear to the ground. I'm running yeah. the local landlord association as well, plus the fact I'm the chairman of the National Landlord Association for Scotland. So I'm dealing at people at political level. People think, oh, it's like I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my local councillor. Hey, I'll talk to the minister. I'm not talking to my local councillor. We're talking to we're talking to the Scottish government. That's where I was in terms of where our journey was. Um, so I was completely plugged into the system in terms of what I needed to do. And I saw my future in that. However, 
Could you imagine going from a working, effectively working, because I was working 168 hours a week. That's, that's no sleep, by the way. Yeah. So that's how I was running. I used to often just fall asleep in a property I was renovating in the middle of the night. Um, and I used to have to actually use a carpet sweeper because it was it was two o'clock in the morning when I was cleaning it. So I couldn't put the hoover on because people were in their bed. So I just used to use a carpet cleaner and, and stuff like that to clean things up, just a sweeper. Mm-hmm. So I literally just used to fall asleep on the floors and then I would get up in the morning and then I would just go home, I'd get a shower and I'd go to work with my suit and tie on and work as a financial controller in industry and manufacturing. That so really you, has burning out of both ends. Yeah, so when you think about the logic of that, how you're like that, there was often days as well, Richard, that I was extremely ill and there was sometimes I was actually so out of it, lightheaded, like, like completely in a twilight zone sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, that I was just running on autopilot in order to in order to get these properties ready for the next day for somebody to move in. Remember, I wasn't using a team. I wasn't using a letting agent. I was okay. doing everything myself. So that's why. I, and and I remember actually going, and I was I was extremely ill, and I was I was actually cleaning. It was six to eight then walk in Buckhaven. I was cleaning it all out for the person to move in the next day, and and that's when that was one of the times that I thought, geez. Um, but I never really. I, I thought this is pushing this is pushing it to the real limits. But remember, I always run with the phrase, and I've told you it loads and loads of times. I will do today what others will not to achieve tomorrow what others cannot. Mm-hmm. And I'll run with that every single time. And I and I still work on that today. Even when I'm ill, I will do something I know no one else will do when they're ill because they'll sit back, and that'll just put me ahead a bit more, and then a bit more. And see how that compounds. That's yeah, my mind. continually doing that extra. That's uh, what you, every you way out in front of everybody. Yeah. You know, even when I'm even I'm no ill anymore, to be honest. Even when I am ill, you know I still keep in touch with everybody. Oh, you know yeah. I'm still on social media. You know I'm still uh, and and people don't realise that. They don't realise I'm actually ill. Mm-hmm. Um, but I cover it up very well. And 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 it's I always talk about it. You can I go I go I go into a wee darkened room. And then when you wheel me out to the public, I'm a completely different, I, I switch on. Yeah. And, and and that's what I do. And then when I'm finished with what I'm needing to do, I go back into my darkened room again. And that's effectively how I did everything. Um, I knew there were signs there this was coming because mm-hmm. I do remember um, actually walking out in front of the managing director of Macintosh when we were having an argument. And the, the, the managing director, Willie McCall, was a bit blown the roof. <laughs> and he said, and he turned to, he turned to um, he turned to Alistair, who was who was my financial director at that time. And he turned to Alistair and he said to Alistair, Alistair, tell Jim why I'm going while I'm going out to have a have a drive in the car round the block. Because <laughs> we were, were about to come to fisticuffs <laughs> about he was insistent that he had told me something. I'm like, no, you never. Uh, but I was really in a bad space mentally right. at that time, uh, and that's why something had to give. Um, and I actually got into the car and I drove home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said to, I phoned Alistair up and I says, look, Alistair, I can't take this anymore. Um, this was at my work, remember, before I was yeah. about to retire. I can't take this anymore. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm killing myself literally to do, to, to make this happen. Um, and that was the first time I actually went to a doctor and the doctor went, well, take these pills. And I went, oh, no chance. Yeah. Uh, there's no way I'm taking anything. It's like, because it was antidepressants he wanted me to take. But he, he didn't, you know, he, he thought this was all about anxiety. The doctors are like that. They don't realise. They just think an antidepressant will sort it out. But it didn't. He said, take these for two weeks. And I'm like, 
Now I know antidepressants take at least two weeks to kick in anyway. So there's and then, no way and then to come off them as well. You need to. Good. So yeah, and that kind of no, no, you're all right. I'm I've got the prescription in case I need it, but other than that, I'm not going to use it. Yeah. Um, so, but that was a warning sign that I didn't pick up on. Right. But I did know that at this time I was feeling myself with alcohol. I was feeling myself with you know just forced myself to do things when I when I shouldn't be doing it. When most people would say, "Look, you need to sit down and stop for a minute." But I just knew my dream was more important to me. I would I would literally die rather than fail. That's the mindset I have with yeah. most things. That's literally, and that's how that's how I think. Uh, and I still kind of think that today, I mean, although I know my warning signs now, my triggers. I was just going to say, obviously, um, depression and things and, and mental health, is there's a lot more awareness about it now, and people are a wee bit more aware of how, it, how its effects and things. But, well, I mean, the, do, you really. think, uh, do you think... <laughs> really, really, when people come on and say, oh, I'm depressed, the, look, there's depression. Yeah. And there's chronic depression. Yeah. Now, chronic depression will last with you for a long, long time. This is when there's something severely wrong. Yeah. And there's depressed. There's depressed as in, I just, I just, I just feel, oh, I feel demotivated. Just, no, I just feel That's old. depressed. That's, you could snap out of that in no time at all. But chronic is actually a chemical thing. And do you think it took you, did it take you a long time to realise you were heading in that direction or in that position? No. Or do you think you were putting up, do you think you were... You're so focused on your. You're so focused on what you want. You're so focused yeah. on your dream. Say, did you push it to the side? Listen, Richard, yeah. This is. I've got it now. I am literally retired, financially free. I never need to worry ever, ever again about money. Yeah. I never need to rely on anybody ever, ever again about money at this point in time. But I knew in order to build my property business again and keep going on from there, I had to give up something. And there was no way I was able to work part time in uh, Martintosh, where I was in my full time job. There was no way at that point in time. So I had mm -hmm. to give that one up. One of them had to go. And that's when we talked about my retirement. Yeah. But could you imagine going from that sort of speed and that sort of um, adre adrenaline, cortisone all the time? Because that's what it was. And, and fueled by, you know, a lot of people use alcohol out there to keep them going. They yeah. use it. They use it to, to supposedly relax them. But I'll trust you, it makes you worse the yeah. next day. It causes severe depression the next day um so if you're out there and you've got that now i've put the samaritans on this on this link and it will be on for the next shows that we talk about this yeah but if you're feeling like i felt at that time then you really need to speak to someone about it so just just be aware of that uh, and there's a link on here for them and you can free phone them anyway from anywhere on your mobile and stuff like that and you can just get you, it's something to talk to about your situation uh, to be honest I, you know because i was taught to keep it all to yourself just like, just say, like don't talk. you don't tell people that you're ill you don't tell people that this is the way you're thinking you don't tell people that you're pr predominantly on the side of like almost contemplating suicide um, and, and these dark thoughts that go through your mind oh you just yeah, don't, talk, place to be you don't talk about that this is 18 years ago remember so you don't talk about these things. But you can imagine a machine going from 160 hours a week running, right, full time, to literally working a day every week. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all it took for me to run my bike to let. It was just a day a week. And I literally went to almost a standstill because there was nothing else. I had no other goals. This was this is where I failed, definitely. This is where this is where a failure that everybody could learn from. I forgot to put any other goals in place. 
to, to go for after I'd gone for that because I expected this would be 65 year old when I achieved it, yeah. but it was literally at 38. So there's a huge, there's a, there's a, there's a mountain to climb that I don't know about because I'd never put anything in place in, in order to do that. So this is, this is almost the demise coming. This is the, this is the beginning of the end for me, um, for, for what's happening next. So that year, literally between now and I started the estate agents business, I call it the lost in translation year. Literally, I had no idea where I was and what I was doing. I just felt myself looking for things to do and and hanging about older people who are retired because that's the nobody else is there. Everybody's <laughs> nobody else there to enjoy it with. Because you've no brought listen, I was always told, make sure for God's sake, by my mentors, and I, and I never realized that, make sure you bring other people with you. Yeah. Because it's a lonely place at the top of you, haven't it? Mm-hmm. And you're there all on your own. And it's like that's when it starts to all fall apart because you realize you've built all this wealth and built all this system, but there's nobody to enjoy it with. There's nobody yeah. to sit on the beach of the world with, the beaches of the world. There's nobody to go anywhere or do anything with. So I ended up actually hanging about with people a lot older than me at the golf club who were mm-hmm. the, the old brigade who, you know, had done their bit and all the rest of it. And, and literally they were at the point of just talking about their ailments every day. And how and how and how how oh my hip and oh my prostate and oh my and it's like I I don't resonate with that. <laughs> You're not there yet. And the brigade and and even at that time it was even worse because remember I don't I, I I don't resonate with that at all. So the difficulty mm-hmm. here was, um, I was in with that, but then I was still drinking at that time as well. And then it's the old thing about oh, I'll just have a pint in the club in the afternoon. Yeah. Because and if I you've can't. got that extra time, it's easy yeah. to mistakenly fill it with that. Aye. Um, here's here's my dad. Productive. Let's let's have a let's have a drink together, Dad, during the day. Because yeah. isn't this great? I have the option to do this now. That's a slippery slope to nowhere. Yeah. Now I know that. <laughs> but but you don't see that coming. So hopefully people will realise when if that's happening to you right now, it's coming, whether you like it or not. It just creeps up on you. And, yeah. and it's because you've got no vision, you've got no goals, you don't know where to go next. That's what causes this problem. So you see, obviously you've got this extra time and you mentioned there about your estate agency business and things. Did that obviously become um, your goal? Or, or did that just naturally progress because of what you're already doing with your own portfolio? Or is that where you thought, this is where I'm going to well, go next? Before we talk about that, let's talk about okay. where I was then. I, I decided, yeah. to, I, I had Caledonian House at the time, so I decided yeah. to move my office out of the house and down to Caledonian House. So, Because yeah. there's a compulsion of the offices in your house to be there all the time. It's just like, I'll go and check my stuff, I'll go and check my stuff. So you continually work all the time. Um, and you still keep doing it, and it's and it's compulsive. Um, you're, you're, you're hardwired to do it. Uh, just like, I've just checked social media, I've just checked the social media. How many people do that? Yeah, the, the phone buzzes. Oh, check. It's like, my God, switch off at some point in time. Just even if so, and check your, maybe do it within two hours. Every two hours, check your social media. Um, but I, you know, popcorn the kettle black, by the way, because I still do it. Yeah. Um, um, but but the, the in-between was the problem. I, I moved down to there, uh, and I had my own office, but I wasn't really doing anything because I wasn't really actively investing in property. But then I thought, I better get moving again. So I started to actually actively invest in property. Again, I started to I started to then look for property, um, and I was buying. And I remember Gordon uh, Gordon Jackson, who was uh, part of Remax at the time, uh, but also looked at the the price in the market 
and I looked at the refurbishment projects I was doing, you know, the 2005s at Railway Place with leasing with the council, yep. um, the land at Thistle Terrace, um, the um, property at Durward Street, um, all these ones, the refurbishing flips, I was doing at that time in between. So when I flipped, when I was flipping um, some of these properties and the land and that, um, I actually spoke to Gordon at the time because he was he was the agent I was dealing with at the time. He was fantastic. He's customer service. This guy was first class and he still is today. He doesn't do this anymore because something else happened in his life. Um, but he, he was first class at what he was doing and it was just like exceptional service and exceptional results as well. Um, and that's what inspired me to, to go to him and say, look, Gordon, I'm actually thinking about selling a couple of properties. And he went, well, can you hold off actually? And this was walking down the high street. He said, and I stopped him and says, can you hold off? And I went, for a couple of months. And I went, yeah. He says, what are, you, what are you thinking about? Like, Now, see in between then, by the way, I went to see franchises for KFC. I went to see a franchise for McDonald's. I never got accepted because I was too out, out the box thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's only want people that want to earn £30,000 a year. And, and basically, we could fleece them as much as possible for the rent that we charge them for their units and the, the, the price for the burgers. McDonald's are in the business of real estate, let's be honest. And, yeah. and McDonald's won't accept people that won't toe their line. You don't, they don't want you to do anything else outside of that. So when I went to see KFC franchises, we were the one to do them. Burger King wasn't doing them because that was part of uh, um, Pillsbury. Um, so Burger King was part of Pillsbury Group, and they don't do franchise systems. They actually do their own units. Right. So I looked at other opportunities to get involved in, and that's what I went. I went on all these trips to Glasgow and stuff like that, meet other owners of uh, these franchise systems at that time. And there was nothing. I even I even met uh, Reg McDonald, who actually runs the Rematch franchise for Scotland. He says, well, why did I not plug in as an estate agent for um, so-and-so? And, and I, I'm like, I didn't want to do a estate agency at that time. I was like, yeah. no, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to work for someone else. Just, I've just done that. Because um, he couldn't give the franchise away because it was it was, it was was Colin that actually owned it, Colin Jenkins at that time um, for the franchise. Colin and, 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 uh, and Bruce, Bruce Napier. Amazing how I remember all that. Eh? Yeah. Um, all that. But I, I know it detail by detail, remember. It's because yeah, it's part of your journey, so you will remember. Yeah. So so I, I wasn't able to get involved in anything like that. And there was nothing that floated my boat. And and thank God McDonald's never accept, never said, oh, let's go for it, because I'd be entrenched into that. I mean, I'd, I'd admit, I'd have, probably have loads of McDonald's, and I'd be really successful at it. Um, but I, I don't think it would have aligned with me having another boss, effectively. Yeah. Um, so I kept building, and, and then when I bumped into Gordon after all that happened in between, um, then I, I, I looked at it and I thought, and he said, well, why, you know, I says, why are you wanting to wait? And he says, well, I'm thinking about starting out on my own. And, and he was with Remarks, with the same office that I was going to get put in. And, and I said, so why would you want to start on your own? And he said, well, what was happening? As soon as I got successful, they cut my territory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? so they cut, back to what cut my saying. territory, and now I now I can't be as successful as I am because I've got a smaller area. It's like basically limited on so yeah. So you you built up that guy's business, and you built up all his sales, and then you're getting your sales cut as a result. Uh, he wasn't chuffed, like, and then they were introducing people who were fly by nights uh, mm -hmm. who are still in this business today. Some of them, and they're still fly by nights, to be honest, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, who didn't do what Gordon did, and Gordon just didn't like that at all, eh? and he wanted to be his own agency. So he mentioned a place called Century 21, and I went, who? Sorry, what? Who the hell is Century 21? 
he says, well, I'm thinking about starting my own business. Century 21 is an estate agency. Um, you know, I've been thinking about it for a wee while. I've been talking to the franchise or other estates. I'm kind of ready to go with that. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for... He maybe said, I'm looking for another business partner. And I went, oh, I quite like the sound of that, getting into something else, a franchise mm -hmm. operation, because I'd been looking at these franchise models. And I thought, ready built, ready to go, um, in business with one of the most successful guys in a state agency. He was the he was the top agent in Scotland uh, for Remax. He was the top agent. He was actually all, had all the accolades and all the rest of it for it. Um, and a hold up, he sold 126 properties by himself in one year. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, I know what it's like to do what I do now. And it's like for you to sell 126 properties by yourself in one year is something astronomical. Um, he used to even iron his suit. That's how clinical he was. He used to iron his suit, even the jacket. That's that is that is on point precision. Eh? That is focused and disciplined. Um, and and I I aligned them because I'd been using them before. And he was a fantastic estate agent when I was using it Dubai. Um, and it made absolute sense for me then to to think, oh, that's something I might actually be interested in. And we kind of left it at that. But then I think he maybe followed it up. Now, at this point in time, if you've left at 38-year-old and you're financially free, you think you've got the Midas touch, don't you? You think anything you touch will turn to gold. So this was one of my failings, definitely. Okay. This is something that everybody could learn with. Um, I actually went into it and thought, it doesn't matter what I sign up to, I'm going to make a success of it. I mean, I even talk about that today, didn't I? Even yeah. if I got involved at McDonald's, I'd still make a success at it. <laughs> I'm convinced in my mind I will, but there's obviously external factors that stop you from doing it that you have no control over. So I just went in a blunkered approach to myself, and I thought, I could do this. I could make a success at Century 21. I could be this. And the thing that really did it for me is point of readiness. I was ready to look for another opportunity to run by my own as my own business. I thought I had the right business partner. At that time, I probably did. Um, and also, the other one was, I was out in Spain when we went out, when we were thinking about it, and I says to Elaine, you know, Gordon was talking to me about Century 21, about a franchise system. And it was like an epiphany from the, from God when I looked up in the balcony of a... Of a we'd never seen this in our, in our place in Spain. We'd never seen any of this before, ever. And all the time we'd been out there. Remember, I bought this at my place in Spain in 2003. Um, so this is uh, this is about um, five, six years on. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I look up on the balcony in this apartment and there's a sign that says, for sale, Century 21, <laughs> in the middle of Spain, where we are. And I've never, ever seen this before. And it's like, oh, my God, if that's not a sign, what isn't it? What is, yeah. you know? So it was almost like everything, the moon and the sun and the stars all aligned at the same time and the planets were in complete alignment in order for this to happen. And with me being so bravado and thinking I've got the Midas touch and everything I touch turns to gold, which it was at that time, especially in property investment and especially in my career, I thought this is this is what I, this is what I want to do. You know, this is this sounds a great idea. So I went in with a complete blinkered approach, no business plan. <laughs> I was just going to say, so you, so just to touch on before you, you you go down this road. So you say you've got like the, the blinker approach. So just to kind of get an idea of your mindset. So. Although you do need that element of confidence to succeed in things, do you think yeah. you went in, like you say, with the blinkers, you didn't do 
I mean, did you do risk analysis of what you were going to do, or do you maybe did just I, think, oh, that that's so right? Okay. I I I stupidly assumed that Gordon had done all this. Right. Okay. Because Gordon says, "Oh, I've been looking at this for the last, you know, whatever months," um, and he showed me some sort of plan that he had done on a on a back of a fag packet, more or less. <laughs> it was a spread. Uh, effectively, you could see that. Eh? If if this is where the this is where it gets this is where you have to watch. Yeah. If I sell 120 properties. If I get that commission for it, if the average price is that in the area, if the overheads are that, then I'll make that profit. See all the ifs? Yeah. No qualification about where the ifs came from. I never asked him. I just assumed that he had done his homework already. And the fact that well, obviously, that's maybe the average price. Obviously, that's obviously the average fee you get. Obviously, that's the average that you'll be able to sell to get 10% in the market or 15% in the market. Obviously, that's a foregone conclusion. And I'm so successful, everything I touch turns to gold. This is a recipe for success again. The money's going to roll in. <laughs> I can laugh at it now, but I tell you what, once you hear what happened and all the story and, and the journey, because this will take about three or four episodes of this. Yeah. Uh, to learn the lesson, I suppose. Um, and it was, if, and, and I went in completely blinkered. So, you know, um, Stuart White was the master franchise holder at the time. You know, he's a great salesman, but that's about all I would say. Sorry, Stuart, I know you're probably watching this. <laughs> but but I'll tell you what, um, it's just, I, I was stupid. Um, I was stupid enough to actually think I could turn everything to gold. I had the Midas touch. And what could I, what, possibly could I lose and I stuck my name on a contract for a hundred thousand pounds up front okay because I thought a well, hundred grand it's an investment in my future I could make that back easily with these numbers that we're talking about I hadn't even checked but what I did as well is I countersigned everything for the next five years of franchises seven franchises okay. and every single franchise meant that you had to pay every single month a fee to Century 21 and then pay 8% of your top line income to Century 21 and then pay, because it was a self-employed model, 70% of your income to the person that generated the sale, the estate agent, because they were all self-employed estate agents. And you were left with 22%. 22%. Now, remember, when Gordon does these figures, he was doing the figures as an estate agent. He wasn't, he wasn't saying you had 22% of that income left to yourself to run the offices, because effectively you weren't a estate agent. You were, an, you, were a, you were a landlord, more or less, for a business, yeah, a franchisor. So basically what you were doing is you were being a franchisor. You, were, you had to pay the, the, the 22%. You were paying the rent for the office. You were, paying, you were paying the telephones. You were paying everything else. They covered the office themselves in rotation when you... And then you had to recruit people. But then that came down to as well as when you've seen the founder at Ray Kroc, when he started to recruit people to sell burgers, they all made up their own idea about what they should be doing because there was no system in place. And they started selling chicken, the original, fran the original yeah. franchisees. So effectively, that's what that's. there was no system in place. We were flying by the seat of our pants when I got into this and then found out, oh, my God, I've signed up to a system which actually is flying by the seat of their pants. They showed me a, a folder which says, oh, this is the folder of the, the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's like, Bible was just bullshit. You know, yeah. basically hijacked from America. 
and 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 literally I would lock myself in. But I had been garden core for everything. That's okay. the problem. I was just gonna say that. I'm fine. now the garden core. Who's got all the wealth? Yeah. Who's the garden core? Who's gonna to have to pay all this? If any if you if anybody walks away from this, who's gonna to have to pay all this? Me. Yeah. The whole shebang from start to finish. So I had got myself into a system which everybody else was making money if they wanted to, and I was literally left holding the baby, having to support it all. This is this is interesting for me because I don't know the ins and outs of this story. Um, people might think I do, but I don't. Um, and that's really surprising for you to hear you say that you signed up as guarantor for this. Because, I mean, did you do it without thinking, or did you just not realise completely it, without thinking? Which is really surprising for I me. Was, to hear I you was say. completely euphoric about the whole thing. I've got yeah. the Midas touch and everything. That touch turns to gold. Yeah, but I had done no due diligence to prove that. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, what would you expect? I mean, meteoric rise from homeless and unemployed to millionaire and literally financially free for the rest of your life. Why would you not think you've got the yeah. mind of touch? This happens to a lot of people, by the way. This happens to a lot of people, trust me. It's not just me this happens to. And I, and I noticed it recently today. There was an announcement where somebody's got a local coffee shop in leaving. It literally, he's not been taking a salary out of his business and him and his partner for five years. Now, incidentally, he's finished on five years, and I bet you that's because he went garden tour for the lease for the premises that he okay. was renting. And I bet you that's why he's had to ride it out for five years and have nothing and have to work a job outside of that as well. Because he's tied what down. Sort of, what sort of mental illness and position will you be in when you're when when you get to that stage? I mean, what, how would you feel, Richard, no. knowing that you're you're now on a hamster wheel for the next five years? And you ain't getting off. It would be an awful feeling of being basically trapped into something that... Um, and, and I think as well, I think a lot of what people's problems come from is financially related. Money is, is such a big problem for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and it could be a big catalyst to affecting your mental health and obviously leading you down that path. So when we started out, it was literally... It was literally everybody was like, because they saw all the branding, they saw the Century 21, they saw the cars. I'd even gone garden tour for all the smart cars. We had about three or four smart cars, and I'd gone garden tour for all them as well on the leases. Mm -hmm. So it was me, it was put my name to everything. I'd been the party, <laughs> effectively. Yeah. And everybody was going, Look how successful you are. Aye, maybe on the face of it, but I'll tell surface, you what, I've been in the background. Yeah. If you knew what was happening in the background, you'd be you'd be mortified. And that's how most businesses start. Everybody thinks they're so successful because they see all the glitz and the glamour. They see the branding. They see the premises. They see the car. They see everything else. And I and I, I now I know it's like that's all bullshit. Yeah. That's no true. It's like another guy that came to me. He's no longer got what he's got, but he came to me. I came to him. I went to him one day and went, Oh my god. I says, how did you build this meteoric empire so quick? This was another industry. Because I like to learn lessons from other people, so I wanted to get time one. And lo and behold, he says to me, the first thing words out of his mouth was, we've got 98 people employed. And I just went, holy shit. That wouldn't have been the first words out of my mouth. <laughs> That's no a sign of success for me. Yeah. That means you've got 98 people you've got to pay come hell or high water. Yeah, that's like, a lot. That's no success. Yeah. I would be talking about what is my bottom line profit, no more turnover and my number of people employed because turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash flow is king. Yeah. And I learned the hard way. So think about 
and Grosten. Now, the euphoria, part, you know, for the first year, the euphoria came along and it was like, yeah, this is fantastic, we're up. But there was times that we were sitting at the phone going, is that phone ringing? <laughs> is it working? <laughs> and dialing ourselves up on our mobiles, because we had mobiles at that time, dialing ourselves on our mobiles, dialing the phone up and saying, yeah, it's ringing, it's working. It's like, why is nobody doing this? We were beating the streets every single every single day with canvassing. We were literally... Just going to say, you'd be, on, you'd be on foot at doors. Yeah, like canvassing cards in our hand every single time, putting them through people's letterbox. People go, oh, um, why do you not just put them in the post? It's like, you know what happens to a canvassing card when it goes in the post? It goes straight in the bin. Very, very few people actually read it because it goes in with everybody else's shite. Mm-hmm. So we took the premise, we took the, 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 the reasoning, we'll do the canvassing outside of the post office hours. So we'll do it at weekends as well. Now, this was a great learning experience. I've got to say, you learn a lot by your failures. Yeah. So this is a great learning experience because I get I got to know about the neighbourhoods. I got to meet people on my travels when I was walking about and talk to them. I got to know about the type of properties that were available in the, in the area in terms of housing stock. I also got to know the demographic. I also got to know where all the wee parks were, where the where the you know where the where the park was for the kids to play at, where maybe the doctors is in relation to where that is. Because some of these places, like you go up a wee alleyway and you go, oh my god, I never, oh, knew, I never knew this was here. I never knew there was a restaurant here. Yeah, <laughs> Cooper was like that all the time. So was St Andrews. Yeah, every time you turn the corner, it's like, uh, who, who puts a who puts a restaurant up an alleyway? St Andrews and Cooper do. Yeah. Um, and, and you'd be amazed at how many wonderful places there are. Really nice places there is, yeah. So you get to know all that knowledge and all that information by by doing canvassing. So that for anybody out there, it, it, it's starting as, as in a stage. And canvassing and beating the streets on your feet, you know, like a copper on the beat, you know, going around every door and putting a, putting a letter. But I tell you what, you better do it right, because <laughs> there's a way to do this or you'll get castigated for it. You... you you open the gate, you go in the gate, you walk up to the door, you open the flap, and you push it right through the door, you close the flap, you don't leave it hanging outside the post box. You then walk out the gate. If there's not a fence in between next door and you, you do not cut across their front window like the postman does. You go back out the gate, you make sure the gate's closed properly. You go round to the next person's gate, and you do exactly the same thing, regardless. You do not take shortcuts. Because I tell you what, you'll be out there with somebody with your, your guts for garters. <laughs> that's the expression. That's an old expression, but I tell you what, that's all what they'll be doing. So these are things that I've actually been taught, plus the fact that I had a great knowledge, because I used to clean all the telephone boxes in Fife. Yeah. A lot of folk didn't realise that. I used to sweep and clean every single telephone box in Fife as part of the contract with, with the post office at that time, because they ran it. My father had that contract. So when I was a young laddie, when I was working with my dad, I used to go out in the van and clean all these telephone boxes. I tell you what, that was a lesson. And, uh, you know, just that got me used to cleaning toilets as a landlord yeah. and just cleaning houses. Because if you've done that and cleaned the telephone boxes, wow, some of these telephone boxes are terrible. Some of them have got shit in the hands. Just going to say, it? some of them are used as toilets. You had to clean all that out. Used. There was no rubber gloves at that time, by the way. You had to clean all that crap out with your brush and everything like that, and wash it all down and get the J's fluid out. God, J's fluid, uh, uh, that that smell will haunt me for my life. For life. <laughs> Elaine goes, oh, it's a wonderful smell. And I go, God, it just takes me back to the time of cleaning the <laughs> um, So J's fluid, I had to spray everything. I had to clean all the fascia. I had to get graffiti remover to take all the spray paint off and everything like that. And you have to get all these different things we had to do and then wash the outsides of the telephone boxes. But I had a great knowledge because I knew all the streets by the telephone boxes. 
because I drove mm-hmm. them all. So I knew where to go. So it was another great knowledge of, uh, I was able to add on to what I did. Uh, and as well as the knowledge in industry, it had collated with running, helping run these manufacturing businesses and, and has been as an accountant as well. So all that knowledge compounded into what I was doing in this business. But unfortunately, it was, it, it, I've got to say, it was Gordon's baby. It was his baby. Mm-hmm. And really, it wasn't my baby. I was just helping look after the baby. But the difficulty is, I just made an assumption and thought he was able to take the reins and run it as a business. And he was financially astute, but, and he wasn't. You know, I, Gordon's a fantastic salesman and absolutely brilliant at what he does, but finance was never his thing. And he just felt that throwing money against it all the time was the answer to everyone. Um, and, and I don't, I know that's not the answer. It's clever, it's clever marketing. Um, but at that time, I let him take his rein, I let him take the reins, and I let him run with it and, and, and basically ran us into the ground. Um, financially, um, so it came to the point, um, and, and and at that time as well, it was it was coming so difficult for me, um, and we were trying to we we're trying to generate business. I, I looked at an opportunity. I thought maybe I should sell some of my houses now because I'm getting a good return on them, and that's that's ultimately why I sometimes and I don't regret selling them because I really made a good killing on it. But I, I paid a lot of capital gains tax on it as well. Right. One year, I think I paid my capital gains. It was like horrendous. It was like. 30 grand personally and it was about 45 grand in my limited company it was a huge amount of capital gains tax and that's with allowances as well uh, and indexation as well so you know that was that time where i told you we sold our property but it kept the market going as well and it kept us going especially and you know because we're taking the profits and for me and i was able to reinvest that back in the business so unfortunately what happened was a 50 50 relationship in the beginning because god made a lot of money um, in the beginning from being a, an estate agent. An estate agent, we yeah. We had money aside as well. So we were able to put 50-50 in the beginning, but that relationship changed because he ran out of money and I didn't because I still had money coming in from the buy to let, even though I wasn't earning money in that business. So it was difficult and it was a strained relationship because of that, because it was like, well, we're going to have to put more money into this. We never really thought about, maybe we should just put our prices up. So why did you say that? Yeah. So what I'm saying is, we started as a purple bricks, yeah, and tried to do volume. We never actually started as a as a, a specialist and mm-hmm. thought this is what we do and we do well and we really want to be the weight weight rows and marks and Spencers of a state agency and that type of service level. We don't want to be the Lidl's and the Aldi's, which is what the volume agents are, like the corporates um, yeah, yeah. That, you, that you see today. And and some of the actual independents who are actually they just they just they just think the more the bus in the more money they're going to make. But it's like I'm not interested in wasting my time with this. I, I want to I want to look after people that want a good service and actually want a better result uh, and yeah. actually feel that my proposition is a lot more valuable to them than what somebody else is. That's the people I want to do business with. I've got the luxury I can do that. Yeah, yeah. but at that time yeah. I wouldn't. We just had to go the scattergun effect and had to go for volume. Yeah, because you 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 should really be concentrating on quality rather than quantity. But obviously, remember though, I'm completely blind in how a yeah. stage works. So I'm just following on the lead of someone that's done it before, and they were completely obsessed with volume. Yeah, but I only and know I'm, that because you've taught me that. You've taught me quality over quantity. I was not an estate agent though. I was just mm-hmm. running the infrastructure and doing the finance, doing the books, and reporting to Gordon, who was the managing director, because he wanted to be the managing director. I thought, I'll give you your yeah. place. I play a good second fiddle, which I really do. Um, 
and that's where it was getting problematic. But then, but then, when you think about the the alcohol as well at the back of that, and that's what a lot of people in business do. That you know, basically live for the weekend. Um, it gets overwhelming. I mean, I was at the point, Richard, where I was. You know, I was. When, when was this? Um, probably later on, but it was even at the point I was actually phoning people up and going out at half past eleven and twelve o'clock at night just to get out. Mm-hmm. Because I felt I had missed something, and I felt I'd. But then the worst thing is, then you go out at half eleven or twelve o'clock at night to the pub, and then you get the lock in, and you're there till three or four in the morning, and then it's no great the next day, yeah. because the next day you're comatose and you're you've had it, and a lot of people live like that all the time, and they don't they don't realise what they're doing to themselves. Uh, you're you're running on empty <laughs> at that stage as well, because you have lack of sleep, you lack of concentration, because obviously. The effects that alcohol and things has on people, yeah. especially if you're overdoing it. Um, yeah. So, so this is this is where I am right now. I'm I'm fueled by this. I'm pushing this forward. I I'm still I'm still very. You know, I'm very tolerant with people, and I let them away with loads and loads of mistakes. Yeah. And there's loads and loads of mistakes getting made, and I'm completely tolerant because it's it's someone else's baby, and that was the difficulty. It was someone else's baby. Um. And and that then leads me to believe is for God's sake you never get in with somebody into business. My lesson to that is, you do not get into somebody with business as a partner or a joint venture if they either they have something valuable that you don't have that they can contribute to the table. That's the only reason you would bring yeah. them in. But even other than that, you don't bring them in if you're if you're the person that drives it forward. But they have to be brought in on the condition that you're the person that drives it forward. Or you don't do business with them and you don't get into business with them, no matter what it is. That's probably one of the most important lessons I've learned out of that as well. Did you feel at that stage, like you're saying a lot of mistakes would be made and things, and did you feel like you couldn't, you didn't have that position to step in and say no, something to change things, although felt, you were heavily invested financially? I felt I was heavily invested financially, but I felt that um, it wasn't my place. Right. Um, I just felt this. I I tell you what I did feel. I felt imposter syndrome. Yeah. I felt I wasn't really an estate agent. I'm just I'm just running a business. I'm just helping run a business as a as a manager. I'm not an estate agent. Um, I'm I'm playing at it because I'm not going out listing houses at that point in time. I'm I'm relying on associates which we've recruited. I mean, I think there's only one still going as an estate agent today that we recruited in the beginning. But at some point in time, we had 20 people as an estate as the estate agents oh, was. Well. 20 people. But none of them were making money, really, because the model, it was the, the, the estate agency model, the way it is in the franchise system about recruiting people is they pay you a desk fee, okay? In other words, a contribution towards the office, which is yeah. 350 quid a month. But I've got to pay 400 quid a month to the franchiser, plus 8% of my top line my income. And that's no overheads off it. That's eight percent top line. So I've got to pay that. So that's that's the difficulty. But I've also got to give away seventy percent of my income, and there's where the problem lied. Seventy percent of my income. A lot of people were actually coming to me to sell property, and because I wasn't in a stage at that time, I was just passing it on to another person who who had just basically joined the system and was getting money for nothing in their hands. And as long as they pay their desk fees, the yeah, candy allows them, the candy allows them just to play it. They they're paying me 300 quid a month to get basically a thousand pound or two thousand pound a month from me for nothing, yeah, for not doing that. anything but yeah. but relying on my system and basically me passing the business. I'm paying you 300 quid to make for you to give me two thousand. I, yeah. I, I was, I was 
convinced that people can change, but there's another lesson coming. That's like, you cannot, you could lead a horse to war, but you can't make it drink. Mm-hmm. And effectively what we're doing is we're, we're, we're beating dead wood. Um, and, and, but, but because they were, because that was the system I was taught by century 21 in the franchise system about recruiting, 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 recruiting. And that's the business I'm in is recruiting. The business I was in, I was told was recruiting. I'm not in the business of running a state agency. I'm in the business of recruiting. No, now, at that time, I, I was like, God, have you told me that in the beginning? I, <laughs> I maybe wouldn't have done this um, yeah. because I'm not in the business of recruiting. I want to be an estate agent. I want to run an estate agency. Property, they said, yeah. no, no, Jim, you have, to be a, you have to recruit. Gordon, you have to recruit as well. But Gordon wants to be an estate agent. This is like the, I'll tell you what it's like. You know, you get the, you get the contractors at work with you. Look at our, prop- our five properties maintenance. We'll give that yeah. as an example. We had a contractor at work with us, a guy at work with us, and he worked with us and we paid him. And he got a decent salary for what he was doing. But every single month he used to see, well, I'm only getting paid X amount of per hour, but you're getting paid four times much as much as I'm getting paid. That's no fair. I could make that money. But what what, what that person didn't realise is... Oh, the overheads. I'm paying for the van that you're running about in. I'm paying for your mobile phone. I'm paying your national insurance. I'm paying your pension. I'm paying your sick days off if I have to with sick pay. I'm also, I'm also, um, I'm also having to do the HR. I'm also having to do all the accounts. Get somebody to do all the accounts. I'm having to run an office as well, and then also I'm having to pay for the insurance to go with you as well. That's why we're charging a lot more than what you're getting. But this person was adamant that you know. I could do that myself. And I sat down with them one day and says, you know, what do you want to do? You want to run your own business? Because I tell you what, it's not. Oh, I just want to swing a hammer. Well, if you want to swing a hammer, just be an employee. Because I tell you what, run your own business, isn't it that? There's no swinging a hammer. Yeah. And and that that then got me to thinking about, you know, that's how people look at it. They think, oh, I'm making a lot more, you're making a lot more money than me. It's like, no, 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 it's no that. But this is what was happening. This is what was happening in our system. It's sort of like it's sort of like that. It's like I got into it and I didn't realise that, you know, you, you'll not make money for the first six months or something. And I went, well, I'm all right with that. Um, but then Gordon had to make money. But Gordon actually left because he saw that with where he was. He saw how are you making so much money, but he didn't realise the infrastructure that went behind that. But we sure did now. Yeah. <laughs> it's because we were making no money. And he was just, he was hand to mouth because everything he was making, I had to say to him, well, you kind of take that out. You kind of take the 70% out. You'll have to leave it. To leave it in, yeah. You just have to leave it because I'm doing my bit of doing, putting my effort in and running and basically working 24 hours every single time for free. So you're going to have to do the same thing. You can't expect to take a wage out and go, yeah, I've, I've been a stage and I could do that. But hold it. I'm working for free all my hours and you're, you're, no, you're working and making money. With your hours, that's no fair. So he had to leave it in. So everything he was earning was left in the company. Well, everybody else thought we were minted. An actual fact, we were stony broke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, and that's like it's like you say, people get that um, perception for the image on the surface, but really, you just don't appreciate everything that goes in behind the scenes and all the financial. A yep. commitment behind the scenes to keep something like that, a, a business like that, running uh, and functioning. And like you say, obviously, at some point you're actually running it probably a bit at a loss. Yeah, and and then when you look at it as well, 
then you know what's happening. You know what's coming next. The credit crunch. Yeah. The shit hit the fan yep. with the credit crunch. Even worse. So you've got you've got somebody basically, <laughs> you know, uh, drinking excessively all the time. Even getting worse. I mean, it was getting worse to the point where you know you would. I would have booze in the house and I would start drinking that as well. Mm-hmm. Like even even crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like even the shit even your cooking sherry and stuff it's like <laughs> I was going to say something like Maduri or something that's <laughs> what's Maduri? I was about to say it honestly we had Maduri we bought it because we saw it in still game you know um, funny with Maduri uh-huh. we get big in us in us will come down and sort them but for God's sake didn't let them near the Maduri um, and, and literally that's how we had a bottle of Maduri in the cupboard and I actually drank that and all Um but that was that was that obsessive, you know. That was that that was that having to calm myself down. I was using alcohol as a, as a coping as a medication, like a coping mechanism. Take the edge off every single time. It wasn't I was addicted to the alcohol. It wasn't that. It was the fact that I was using it as a mechanism, other than anything else, to take that edge off the the constant anxiety yeah. that you felt. I literally, you've got to think about it like this. I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning, Richard. Sometimes. And I was going to look in my competitors' office windows to see what they were doing. To see what they were doing, yeah. Honestly. And, and it's like, you thought, you know, I used to roll up in White Rose, uh, White Causeway <laughs> in Kirkcaldy. I can tell Delmore this because he's left now. Andrew's no longer <laughs> in Delmore. <laughs> but I used to sit and I used to, they used to leave all their stuff on their desk. So I was able to know what they were doing and what they were up to every single time. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do that with every single estate agent. I used to do that in the middle of the morning at three and three and four o'clock in the morning. Because I couldn't sleep. Yeah. I was I was excessively rattling all the time, every single time. That's not healthy. That is definitely not healthy. I could not sleep every single time. People used to go, Oh, it's unbelievable. You're you're asking me back. You know, you're you're answering me back at three and four o'clock in the morning. That's dedication, Jim. That's flipping kind of sleep and anxiety. Yeah. And 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 it's all coming, it's all coming round full circle. But but I never knew any other way, Richard. Remember, I was constantly. This is me back to my landlord days and yep. working full time. And I'm thinking, yes, I've got it back. I'm working full time. All my hours are filled now, and it's I'm a real success because I'm because I'm I'm doing three o'clock in the morning. I'm doing four o'clock in the morning. I even woke up one day and it was light outside at two o'clock in the morning, and I decided to go for a game of golf. And I got into the I got into the 18th green. At seven o'clock in the morning when the starters was open and he went, You're not supposed to be playing on the golf course at this time. And I just told him to go forth and multiply. <laughs> <laughs> and said, I couldn't care less. You're not here at my time in the morning. And I'm yeah. playing golf between two and seven in the morning because it was light and it was nice yeah. and it was great outside. I tell you what, it was nice though. I was going to say, Why would you not be able to play golf? Why is that a rule? Because because they said it, it was just it was just you know it's like it's my domain and you're gonna follow my rule. <laughs> it's the rules and that's about the bottom line. No, no reason why. Uh, but anyway, I, well, he got it in the neck when he tried to report me because he didn't realise my dad was the captain at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but that's the sort of things I had to do because I couldn't stay still. Aline was gobsmacked. I mean, even when I look back on it now, I literally never slept for all mm-hmm. that time. And you can imagine how that'll begin to catch up on you. Lack of sleep could have a really, a really profound effect on mentally, which obviously well, you're you, going to allow you got the drink on. as well on top of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got the lack of sleep, sleep. You've got the drink. You've got the anxiety. You've got the financial pressure. You've mm-hmm. got the constant stress. 
you've got it's no it's all no going according to plan. Um, you can see where that's going. Yeah, and you can see you're you're committed to a five year term. Uh, whether you like it or no, you have to pay four hundred pound per office every single month. You have to pay eight percent of your turnover every single month. You still have you still have to pay for all these offices because I never owned offices. I leased them all. Yeah, you still have to pay for all these offices that you've taken now. Even Rightmove walked in the door and threw a threw a, a, a bomb in, in, into the mix. They basically threw a bomb into it. And Rightmove went, oh, you've got three offices now. We're wanting three times the amount of money now. Hold it. You you got me started and you said it was okay. And now you're saying that you're going to shut down Rightmove for us if we don't pay for three offices. At that time, it was £1,200 a month. Say, it's a lot of money for so Rightmove, I know. I'm paying... £1,200 a month to Century 21. We're paying £1,200 a month to Great Move. But, and, and and I'll be honest, Richard, I actually, and Avril's still about today with another organisation, and I, I, I basically told Avril to just get your bahuke out that door and go forth and multiply, and yeah. that's the end of Right Move for me. Um, because basically they, they, they bent me over the table and they took me for everything. Yeah. And they got me to a position, and and I looked to them. I I actually look at them fondly as almost like drug pushers. Uh, they're, they're dealers, as far as mm -hmm. I'm concerned. I don't have any reliance on them anymore. By the way, I can cut them off if I want any time. Yeah. But at that time, you needed to be on right move to be seen anywhere. And everybody says if you're not on right move, you're not getting anywhere. So they basically had over, over a barrel, and they asked us to pay that. Luckily, I then took the leap of faith, and I tell you what, it was like a rattling weekend. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, it's all going to fall apart by Monday. It's yeah. like when we said we're coming off and we invested the money into Kingdom FM and our and our turnover went up three times. <laughs> We've been off right move. And I proved it to myself. Yeah. All because we were pushed into a position where we didn't have, we couldn't back out. It was either that or we're bust. We're out. We're out of business. Yeah. We've got no more money left. I'm basically, I'm, I keep sinking money into this. Gordon keeps sinking money into this. We cannot go on like this anymore. I have to keep going, though, because I've I've signed as guarantor for everything. The cars, the leases, the, the, the franchise agreement, the whole shebang. I've signed everything up under my name. So, And that's my reputation. My, my reputation is the only thing I can give away myself. And there's no way I'm going to default on my loans, ever. There's no way I'm going to have an overdraft as well either. So we never have an overdraft for the bank ever. We've never had an overdraft for day one from the bank in our business when we started in 2006. That's one thing I'm really proud of. We yeah. relied on our own cash to do things. So this was all fuel-induced, uh, and, and then the credit crunch comes along, and then it hits the fan again. It's like um, I had bought Veterano Vale in 2008. Which was your own residence. Well, it wasn't. It was meant to be a buy to let. Did you live but, in it? <laughs> I did become own resident. Sorry, I thought life. you did live in it for a period. That's why I said that. Sorry. I lost. I lost complete track of where I was. Yeah. Um, I lost complete reality of where I was. Um, at that time, um, you could see how all that an in, in industry, from homeless and unemployed to where I was and working all these hours, and consistently not getting sleep. Mm -hmm. and consistently drive myself forward and consistently moving forward as well, how that came. And the toll it had on Elaine was immense when you think about it. And how the hell she stayed by me, I do not know. Um, 
But even I got to the, even I got to the point, Richard, where I thought I'm going to move it. Everybody else is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's no me. Yeah, but still hardly, uh, the, the penny still hadn't dropped. Literally, the pen, penny still hadn't dropped. I'm going to move out, and I'm going to move to Vetriano. Um, the property we bought, we were going to let. That was one of the ones that I bought off plan to let. And and I ended up moving into there um, because I felt that it was everybody else's fault except mine. See how delusional that could become. But it's, it's easily, I mean, not for experience, obviously, but through what I've heard from other people and things and stories and things, when you're, I mean, maybe not even at this level, and I know obviously your journey, but when you're doing things at that level and you're trying to, obviously get through it like you see with alcohol and things there's so much contributing factors there that you've got you're going to have a lot of um times where you just can't even think straight and maybe taking a step back and realizing it was you is obviously probably one of the yeah. hardest things you were able to do wait till you see what happens next and we're going yeah. to keep that to next week yeah because i tell you what that's a, that's an hour i can't believe that's an hour i know but, but i tell you what what happens next is unbelievable um yeah. when i look back and in hindsight now and 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 where I was mentally, and where you know how I've lost my friend. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk about it next week. Um, oh dear, it's it's getting to me now. <laughs> yeah, he did the same. He did the same as you know. Um, he basically hung himself, right. um, and he was in a bad place as well. I never even realised at the time, but I'll talk about that next week a bit more. Um, and how that happened, and and for people w- watching out for that, um, yeah. and and the effect it had on me as well, um, especially especially when I talk about it right now, I thought I'd be able to talk about this quite easily, Richard, um, but I could I could feel it, I could yeah. feel it coming to coming to a head um, in terms of where I am emotionally. Um, so let's let's just leave that one till next week and yeah. park it there. And so we're at this point where I moved out. Now the thing I want to tell you about is. It was easy for us. We had young children at that time. So I, we had had it, I went and we made up the reason behind this to our children was I had to look after this property in case anybody else damaged it. So that's yeah. why I'm going to stay here and Elaine's going to stay where we are. Um, literally as well though, everybody else's excuse except mine. Um, literally the house next door that we had, um, I blamed the house as well for my problems. I said it was all, it was the house. If I, if I had another house, this would all go away and change. It's like, oh, my God. When I think about it now, um, when I think about it now, I think, God, everybody else's fault is it mine. Yeah. But you've got to remember, this is a guy that came out and financially free and a million and, you know, all of a sudden it all went pear-shaped and you're, you're about to lose it all. And and then where are you mentally there? This, this is yeah. defeat. And will you, and how how could you reconcile yourself and admit defeat within such a short space of time? For that reason, so you, I've got to wrestle with this in my mind as well at the same time. That's a hard thing to deal with. I, I would imagine, obviously, well, clearly it is. But um... so next week we're, we're going to talk about you know what happened next, um, where it went from there. Uh, we'll probably end up covering depression as well again. Yeah. Um, and how that happened, and and as well for my friend, and how that happened for him. Um, yeah, it's probably a really good lesson for people out there. But as I say, if you resonate with some of this, and it's really, and and you think, God, that is me to a degree, or that's some parts of me, then please feel free. Uh, Samaritans are on Samaritans, there. Yeah. Um, have a wee chat with them. If you want, listen. If you want to chat with me, I'm 
more than happy to have a chat. There's a fantastic book I always recommend to people. I'll talk about it next week. And I always yeah. send a free copy to some people that are actually going through challenging time. And it has helped a lot of people. Um, so we'll talk about that next week as well. Okay. okay. Right, Jim, thanks. And uh, next week, 12.30 Monday, guys, we'll get the next instalment. See you later.